0: Thank you, Lord. God is so good, isn't he? He's so good, he's merciful, and he's kind to us, he's gracious to us, isn't he? Who believes God has a plan and a purpose for your life? And my word is filled with character after character after character, that if you look too closely, if you look at the moment by moment, or even sometimes the verse by verse, Their story doesn't make sense if you were to just look at a piece of it. But when you see their whole story coming together, you see that God was in it from the beginning, wasn't he? And even generations. I was just meditating on how uh, the Lord promised uh, Abraham, right? And then he promises Isaac, and then he promises Jacob. And there was a process, wasn't there? moses doesn't come for another 400 years but god's promise was fulfilled amen so let's just let god finish what he's doing let's let him complete what he's completing i've told you many times my mind doesn't understand world war ii i don't understand why there was so much carnage and it took so long god uh did deliver right uh nations right, from the bondages of communism and from tyranny he did. And some of those things even took years and years and years after the war, right? But the Lord did it, didn't he? There was many, many miracles the Lord performed. I just don't understand the process, right? Who understands the process? We don't always, do we? But I know that God is good, isn't he? He is kind, and he is a merciful God. He's gracious, and he will complete what he said he would do. Same thing goes for when Abraham was believing for Isaac, right? He didn't even know that he was believing for Isaac, him, the person. He just knew that he needed to trust God, and he thought, well, I'll figure it out. I can do it, right? That's where Ishmael comes from. But God had a plan, and when it was time for God's plan to be implemented, it was. Amen. 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 <laughs> Who believes that that's the Lord's will still today? Who remembers the old movie, uh, Field of Dreams? Everybody remember that old movie, right? Kind of a neat movie. It's not biblical, but a neat movie, right? Guy gets to spend some time with his father, which, you know, we would all wish for, you know, loved ones that are gone to be able to have this, that type of time. But what was uh, neat, what's the most famous line of the entire movie, right? If you build it, he will come, right? Remember that line? And uh, I felt like the Lord was speaking and said, if you build it, he will come. I want you to say that out loud. If you build it, he will come. I just feel like the Lord was actually on Wednesday. I sat down and I don't always have uh, a clear picture or direction of, 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 the sermon, and and sometimes it doesn't come together, I mean, until I'm really sometimes even just standing here fully together, but on Wednesday, the Lord actually spoke like 10 points. I'm not going to go through all 10 points, but just bam, 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 just some things into my heart, and I just feel like the Lord spoke, are we creating space for Him? Are we creating space for God? Have we made room for God? And Just like that, you know, it's just a silly movie, I get it, but in the same way that if we will create space for God, God will fill that space. Who believes that? Let's look in the Bible. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 4, I want to read a couple of things, and it says in James 4 verse 7, one of uh, my favorites, maybe this is going to be something I'm going to say every week, but one of my favorite Uh, chunks of scripture in the whole Bible. The whole book of James is really easy to devour and love. But uh, it says here in James 4, verse 7, it says to humble ourselves before God. Who knows that that is repentance. There is no other way to God except humility, right? God offered himself to us without price. Who knows that? When Jesus was on the cross and his blood was shed, it was while, the Bible says, while we were still sinners. Amen? So we know that the blood was shed while I was still a sinner. I wasn't even going to... I didn't even sin yet 2,000 years in the future. And he already loved me on the cross. So we know that. There is no earning his love. He already paid the price. But there is a pathway into... I want to say, like, you know, it's a hard thing to really put our fingers on with English words. The Greek word is koinonia, koinonia. And I mentioned that either last week or the week before. That Greek word, koinonia, means partnership. Say partnership. All right, it is a connection, just like what I got into during worship, like a man and a woman are partners to, to, to each other and for their family and ultimately, you know, maybe a lineage family, right, to children, grandchildren, and so on. And that partnership is given by God in the same way Jesus was partnered with the Father and the Holy Spirit for work on the earth, and we partner with Christ, with the Father, the Holy Spirit on the earth in the same way. Amen. Who believes that? Whatever I'm doing, it's not my power, it's not my strength, it is God doing it through me, but because I have what? I've humbled myself that's repentance. That's why we bow our heads, just symbols of humility. Does that make God look at us closer because your head is bowed? No, but the head going down is something happening in your heart, isn't it? We fold our hands. What is that? It's just saying like, I'm going to stop being busy. I'm going to stop doing, I'm going to stop controlling. I'm just going to pull this thing together. I'm going to fold my hand. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to come into submission. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to stop this world. I'm that is the key to come before the Lord, is that I stop, I'm letting God be in control, right? Who likes being in control? Who likes when someone else is in control of your life? Nobody. No humans want anyone to control them. No woman really wants a man to control them, right? No man, like I said, wants stop signs or stop signs to control them for that matter. Speed limits are irrelevant. We don't like control, but really in submitting to God is the key, There is a key we need in our submission to God. When I submit to God, something supernatural happens. And I don't believe that we can do the second part of this verse without the first part. You cannot resist the devil in your own strength, who has tried and failed miserably. We all have. And the Bible says here that when I humble myself before the Lord, and then in that humility before God, the devil cannot touch me. Right? He's going to try and try and try and try. My word is clear that he comes and he's got devices and he's got plans just like God's got plans. But I'm coming into the Lord's will. I'm coming into his presence. I'm connecting with him. I'm lowering myself into in his presence and saying, God, you're God. I'm not. I'm I'm a failure in these areas, but I know that you can and will accomplish in these areas. And then the devil's power is removed. And it goes into verse 8. And then it tells me this, it says that if I, it makes me a promise here in James. Everybody say, there's a promise in James for me. Come on, I want you to make it personal, say, for me. There's a promise here in the book of James for you, sitting in those seats today. It is just as relevant today as it was when James wrote it, that if we, the, you may know it as draw near, right, if we will draw near, the NLT says, if I will come close if I will stop what I'm doing, if I will get into the Lord's presence, if I will make room for God in my heart, if I will put aside all my desires, all my plans, if I will put my will aside, my word says that God will come close to me. Say, God wants to be close to me. That is his heart's desire, isn't it? I bring up Genesis probably every other Sunday. And I bring up Adam and Eve every other Sunday because I can't help it, because that's where it all began. Everybody say that's where it began, right? And what I find is that God, the Bible says that God would enter the garden in the cool of the evening. So apparently in the garden, God and Adam and Eve, they met together. They actually hung out and spent time together. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know. Did they have food? Did they have a meal? Did they you know, go out for, just take walks around the garden. I'm not sure what exactly their time together looked like, but what I know is that it said that God came at that usual time to come and be with his creation. Who believes that? You know that that's why God made you. I mean, just, I want you just to realize you are not on this earth to fulfill a purpose, you are on this earth to know God, which in knowing him does what? Fulfills purposes, plural. You're not just, you're not a tool for God. You're not just an object on the earth to do something for him. Yes, those are things like, I mean, that that is a, it is, I could preach sermon after sermon after sermon of all the things that God wants to do through us and use us for, amen. But that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to know God. And in fact, you can't do anything without knowing your purpose. If you don't, in fact, first know that this whole thing is about me and God being one and knowing each other, then anything I ever do is going to be what the Bible warns me of, sandcastles, right? The Bible says I can, I can build with gold, precious, gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. I can build on the rock, or I can build on the sand. There is a and, and the Bible says I'll still go to heaven, but he's going to try my works with fire, and if it was me, then it gets burned up. If it was him, it lasts into eternity. And it must matter because he told me beforehand. So I want to do what's going to last into eternity. Amen. Well, how can I do that? It's not going to, none of that is possible without the real reason why we're on this earth, which is that God made us to know him. Amen. That's why we're here. And so the Bible says in James. Chapter four, verse eight, he says, don't worry. I know some things got messed up for thousands of years. I know there's been some obstacles in between us, God's saying to you today. I know there's been some junk. I know that there was some stuff. I know people came in and confused you. I know the Tower of Babel tried to get built. I know you were in Egypt. I know you you end up rebelling on me. You ended up in Babylon. I know that there have been attack after attack after attack to keep you from my presence. But I want you to know today, and this is now 2023, so 2,000 years now again, the Lord's still saying the same thing. My heart's desire for you has always been, and it is today, that you would come and be in my presence because I want to be with you. Wow. The God, the creator of the universe wants to be with me. And here it is, there's repentance again. That's why, you know, there was no verses. Who knows there wasn't verses? James is just writing a letter, right? So verse seven and verse eight really shouldn't be divided. This is all one thought. He's still continuing what he's saying. You know, the devil's in there because the devil's in your lack of repentance, Right, The devil's in the lack of repentance. God's in repentance. So that's why the devil's in there. Right. So we join together verse seven and verse eight. And what's he saying? He's continuing what he was already saying about our repentance, about our humility, washing our hands as sinners. Right. That's what we do when we come to the Lord. This isn't condemnation. This is what I do every single day. I'm not getting resaved, saved but I'm coming before him and I'm bringing my junk. Who's got junk today? right? Who's got junk, right? We all have junk. The Lord's purifying us, and he's making me better. He's making me more righteous, but I'm still human because I'm still on this earth. I've still got stuff coming in my eyes, right, from this world, and I still got stuff coming in my ears just by living in this world, and that's influencing me even if I don't want it to. So I come before the Lord again today, just like I did yesterday, and I will tomorrow, and I'm saying, Lord, here's my hands. dirty. I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that the Adam that you know in heaven is not, just the Adam that people know on the earth is, and that's not me anymore. He's a dead man in the grave. So I just want to wash myself of those things. Lord, do a work in my heart today, afresh and anew. Lord, because I don't want to be divided between you and the world. Wow. That's so sweet, isn't it? It says again in verse 10, you know, it goes on, you know, being tears and grief. I mean, you might need, that might be your place. Verse 9, let there be some tears, let there be some sorrow. This is really the key to our relationship with God. And people are afraid of this because they feel like, well, you know, I shouldn't be sorry because the Lord's forgiven me. Yeah, but you might have wandered into other areas. And the problem is, it's just the devil trying to trap us from getting into the presence of God. I can tell you, he, the devil only has one goal. He really doesn't care about you. He just wants to hurt God. And you know how he hurts God the most? Keeping you out of his presence. And how are we kept out of God's presence? It's very simple. Sin keeps us out of his presence. That's what the Bible says. We go to Genesis. What did it do? Gates on the, gates on the garden, locked out. No more of my presence. What I want to look at now, just, just for the rest of the service, is that God made ways for people to get back into his presence, but it was limited. Everybody say, but it was limited. It was limited because of sin, because the blood of Christ hadn't come yet, but I just want you to look with me at some things that God says through his word, that this has always been his heart's desire, though, for us to be in communion with him. There is a place in God. It's called the most holy place. Who's aware of it? Right. The most holy place was in a building. I'm going to look quickly here. But Jesus, when he was on the cross, and I've been bringing this up a lot over the last six months, I know, but Jesus is on the cross, and when he says it's finished, the veil is torn. Who's aware? There was a heavy curtain. It was so thick that there was no light allowed in there from the outside, right? So it was a heavy, thick curtain, and this thing is torn into. The temple's cracked open, and you know what was given to you? Access into God's presence, It was not just that you were given Jesus the authority of his name, right? So it's not just that, okay, now I'm one of God's, I represent God, I've got power. You, before any of that, before he gives you authority, before God does anything through you, he first wants you to get it correct. This is what the cross was about. On the cross was about you being restored into the presence of God. Now we think being saved is going to heaven. That's not wrong, because it is the same thing that I'm saying. It just happens to be that what you don't realize is, is that heaven began the moment that you repented and humbled yourself before the Lord. Your body is just in between. Your body is just in the way for some time. Amen. Praise God. The Bible confirms that we're going to get a new body. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, right? But you actually scripturally died the moment that you said, okay, Lord, I surrender. My Bible says, tells us there in Colossians, one of my favorite chunks of scripture there again, because he says, why are you focusing and thinking there on the world? Why are you talking about the world and thinking of worldly things when you died? Everybody say, I died. Past tense, right? Past tense, I died. When did you die? Well, the Lord, because he's outside of time, he sees your death in Christ on the cross, even though it's 2023. He's looking through Jesus, and he sees your repentance in 23. God looks through 2,000 years ago, looks through the blood of Christ on the cross and sees you saying, Lord, forgive me, I've messed up. And God sees a death, right? There's a death. That's really what, I mean, even we come before the Lord, We don't do it a lot anymore, but, you know, you get into the Lord's presence. You might get on your knees. You might get low. I mean, what you're doing really in spirit is dying. You're dying to your will, right? It's not me. I'm not in control. I'm laying my will down. I'm out of control. And you're really dying spiritually to your will, becoming alive in Christ in his will. Something supernatural is happening there. That's the key. The key to this whole thing, the entire thing of us being on this earth is about us being in his presence and living in his presence. Now, Jesus, he's walking in the world. He's doing miracles. He's having the Last Supper. He's, he's uh, you know, feeding people. He's doing many things. So somehow Jesus taught us how you could be in heaven with the Lord, like we are supposed to be, and still be on the earth functioning for the good of this world. That's what he showed us. He showed us it's possible. It's possible to be one with God in heaven, as we are right now, present tense, and still be on the earth functioning. And then there were times, right, we see it. Jesus says, okay, crowds and everything else here starts backing up. Bye, everyone. Time for me to go. And Jesus withdraws into the wilderness to spend time with his father. I often wonder why Jesus needed to do that. If he's the son of God, why did he need to go and get away in the wilderness? It obviously shows us that even if Jesus, the son of God, needed to get into the Lord's presence, that it must be pretty important. Amen. That's how important it is, that even if Jesus, the son of God, said, I need to get into the Lord's presence before I do another miracle, like I'm out. I'm running out. I mean, I don't want to get heretical that Jesus ran out of power, but he's like, I need to go and refill. I need to go and get back in the Lord's presence. I need to go spend some time with my Father. Amen. And so let's look here. Just, just I'm going to just breeze through it for time. I always try. But Isaiah chapter 40, we can read that the Bible says he's talking about a prophecy. Isaiah chapter 40, you can read in your own time. But just very quickly, verse 3, he says, there's a voice of someone shouting clear through the wilderness for the Lord, right? There's a voice crying in the wilderness, you may know it as. And it says, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. And he goes on and on. He's saying, in verse 9, shout it louder. Shout, your God is coming. So this prophecy in Isaiah 40 really pointing to Christ, but bringing a fulfillment of what had always been what God wanted. Amen. What he was doing in Adam and Eve and was broken by sin. It was interrupted by our sin, but he said, I'm going to make a way again. And then he says that it's the Lord, verse 10, coming in power, and he's going to bring a reward with Him. In verse 11, he's the shepherd to come to feed his flock, and he's going to carry us, and he'll gently lead us. Amen. So, the Bible says here in Isaiah chapter 40, prophesying that this is what God was doing, was going to do. Jesus did come, but he says something very important. What does he say? He says, prepare the way. Who heard that? Who's heard, the, who's heard this verse before? But do you hear what the Spirit of God is saying in it? He says, I want to come and I'm going to do some things. Who wants Jesus to come into your life and do some things in your life? I want him to. Who's, you ready? I've used this example before. What husband and wife says, you've loved me enough, you've hit your peak, I just want you to know that you could never love me anymore. The love that you're giving me right now is enough, so you can just put, you can put it on pause. You don't need to love me anymore. It's It's enough, right? We're constantly digging deeper. We're looking deeper for more and more of each other to love each other the rest of our lives. That's the, connection that God's given us in the bond of marriage and imagine we say to God uh Lord um this is about this is about the the line that I'm going to get to where I'm going to love you any love beyond this is just you know it's it's a bit too much for me I just don't quite have the time for you so I'm love I do love you I love you Lord I just you have to know I'm busy right, We we come up with these things Lord you Lord you know I love you I'm just busy Lord, I love you, I'm tired. Lord, you know I love you, I'm just tired. The Lord's saying, he wants to come and do some miracles in us, wants to do things in us, and in our lives. But he says, uh, you need to prepare the way. There was some preparation. Everybody say there was some preparation first. You can look in the book of Genesis, and I'm going to go quick here. Genesis chapter 6, you can look in your own time, but God's going to send a flood. So what's God do? Does God just build a supernatural ark and put Noah in it? Who knows? God could have done that. God's the master builder. My Bible says that God spoke. Who knows the verses? God spoke into nothingness and created everything. And then he's got this poor guy building an ark for a 100 years. But meanwhile, the God that he knows is able to make nothing into everything we see and know, seen and unseen. I'm talking like, you know, the intricacy of the cells working in your eye to be able to see and compute into your brain. These are colors and lights and things. I mean, just all of that. And then now God's got Noah building an ark. The Bible does not say that he helped him. I'd like to believe that God at least was like, oh, here's some trees. I just happened to cut them up into some beams for you. I had nothing to do, Noah, so here's some beams. Here's some iron ore that I turned into nails for you. The Bible does not tell us that, but we could imagine as much as we want that God, how much God helped him. But my Bible says, he says, I want you, I, he says, Noah, build a boat, build an ark. My word says that God told Noah to do something, to prepare for something. Amen. Here we are, Genesis 6. And you you can start to, if you just start to go through your word, what you will find is this koinonia, this connection between God in heaven and man on the earth, and that there's something required of us for God to move in us. There's something required. Everybody say, there's something required of me. And the Bible says that in Genesis 7, see, here's where the supernatural part comes in. I love, love, love this verse because it's such a mystery, but it's so awesome. It says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, it says, Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. So there was an obedience. There was a humility. There was a resisting to imagine. Talk about resisting the devil. Imagine it had never rained before. You know what the devil's voice would have sounded like? It would have been like literally these speakers surrounding your head all day, every day. You are insane. You are the craziest person that I've ever met, Noah. I don't know what you're building a boat on land for. See over there? That's water. This is land. Maybe you need need a lesson on what land is. Imagine the weights in him. Imagine what he was thinking. But the Bible says that Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. And verse 7 says he went inside with his, with his wife and his sons and their wives. And it says that they uh, had, had brought the two of each kind in as the Lord had asked him and the animals and so on. And then it says, verse 16, and then it says, Then the Lord closed the door behind them. I love that verse. Because, you know, the Lord is like, oh, don't worry, I'll close the door. You, you build the whole ark, 100 years, but I'll close the door, don't worry. Tell you what to do and I'll close the door behind you. I love this verse so much because what it's showing us is that I really see that the Lord's like, listen, I made you go through the action because I really need you to interact with me. What I want you to get is the Lord makes us interact with him because he becomes real. The Lord just threw him on a boat and saved him. Maybe it would be there would be less who knows when you put sweat into something. Who has put blood, sweat into tears in tears Wow, you know what I mean. You put that into something, it means something to you, right? I can drive by something I've done, right? We drive by jobs we've done. I look at jobs and I go, Oh, we did that. My boy's joke is like you go into every neighborhood in any town and there's a house you've worked on, and it's the truth. And but there's something in there you're like I did that. So maybe the Lord had him interact because there was something there was a connection he wanted him to make but but this is what I see. When it says the Lord closed the door, I think the Lord really sealed he sealed him in. The Lord really put the seal on him. The Lord did it. It's supernatural. The Lord closed him in means that you can do all this preparation, but it is still the Lord. It's still his power. It was God's power that was put on him and protected him. And then the Bible says here, it says, uh, it says, verse 18. And as the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. So there's this obedience to God. But then there's this connection where God puts his hand of protection. He puts his grace on you. He puts mercy on you. We come even, just let's go right back to that cross. I repent and we activate. We enter into the salvation that was already given to us. I'm obedient. Here's the plans. The Lord actually gave him the plans. He actually didn't say, don't worry. Uh, he, He didn't say, you just figure it out. Build a boat. He's like, I want you to do it exactly to my specifications. And then when he did it, the Lord put his seal on it, the Lord's protection. Amen. So I could spend more time in that, but it was supposed to be quick. Exodus chapter 40, you can see that now the same kind of thing. And we've just read through this. And the Bible tells us that Moses, and they went through, imagine going through the work of building the tabernacle in the wilderness. You picture Who pictures a wilderness like I do, like just rocks, like just dry, brown, you know, like dusty dirt and rocks? Obviously, there must have been a little bit more in there because they're able to get some wood and, there, and some beams, and then they sew together, you know, different types of fabrics. So there's probably, even though it was pretty barren, there must have been a little bit more there. Uh, or again, the Lord's supernaturally dropping off materials, and my Bible doesn't tell me that. But they have to go through all this painstaking work. I want you to say that out loud. They put in the work. Now, we can't work for God. You can't work to gain his, his, his favor. But God makes us join together with him in working. And the Bible says that they did all these things, and then they, they assembled Who just read it in Exodus, right? And they put up all the posts, and they put up all the curtains, and then they brought in the lampstands, and then they brought in the ark, and they bring in all these things that they built. The Bible doesn't say that God made any of them. It says that everything was done by human beings. There was this connection between God in heaven and using people for what he's about to do. And he made them work together. So there's some very interesting things going on here. But it was about what? what is it, what's it fully about? The Bible says... The same thing, it says in Exodus chapter 40, verse 16, Moses proceeds to do everything just as the Lord had commanded him. And it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Let me read that again. Verse 16, because I didn't tell you the verse, sorry says, Moses proceeded to do everything just as the Lord had commanded him. Everybody say, Moses obeyed. And it was everything, and it was detailed, just like the ark. But the Bible says in verse 34, sorry for that. Verse 34 says, then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Wow. So let's just see. Noah builds an ark, God puts his presence upon it. It's There's something that we're interacting and doing, but it's his hand really that protected that boat, isn't it? We bring these, these elements and all these things together, and we build this tent-like temple called the tabernacle, but when it was done, God's glory came. The Bible tells me that David wasn't the one to build the temple for the Lord, but the Bible says that what he did is, I thought this was amazing, just reminding myself, David couldn't build it, but you know what he did? He prepared. He prepared for, imagine being like, well, you know, the Lord's, you know, not really, uh, I ha, you know, the Lord, I, he's not going to move in me and hasn't seemed to move in me and we just give up. You know, I thought this was such an amazing picture that sometimes the Lord's actually having you prepare for the next generations there's a generation ahead of you even. I think this is amazing. I think this is something that could apply to us in any time in history, because the Bible says there's never waste in preparing for the Lord to come into our midst. Our prayers, our heart for God, our sacrifices, they might just pave the way for others into the Lord's presence. And this is what it says. It says in 1 Chronicles 22 that he provided materials uh, for building the temple of the Lord, 4,000 tons of gold and 40,000 tons of silver, and so on, and so on, and so on. And it says, he's telling Solomon, verse 15, I've given you skilled stone maces and carpenters and craftsmen. And verse 16, you've got experts in all these trades. And then he says, now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. And verse 19 says, now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and build a sanctuary the Lord God uh, of the Lord God so that you can bring, what was his purpose? His purpose was the same as the tabernacle. It says it was so that you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy vessels of God into the temple built to honor the Lord's name. This is amazing. My word says that the whole purpose, see, there was like, there's always this time in between where like stuff gets messed up. Everybody says stuff gets messed up, right? Because there's people in between. Everybody say there's people in between. Right. But then he takes those same exact people because he loves us. And they they suddenly they get a heart for God. The Bible says David got a heart for the Lord. And he's like, "Okay, this guy right here, you're not even the guy who's going to build the temple. But this guy right here, he's got my heart and we're going to start to redo what I've been trying to do. And it was lost. There was some things that were lost. Right. There was things that got messed up. Right. Because we just had Saul in between. And the Lord's like, okay, let's do this again. Let's restore back what I've been trying to do. Let's bring you back into my presence. And First Kings, I'm not going to read it just because the time is ticking so fast. But First Kings chapter eight, in your own time, the same thing happens. The Bible says, and now it's now it's like crazy. Solomon spares no expense. In fact, it was the most expensive building that was ever built. You do your research. Really, no money had ever been spent so luxurious, uh, so extravagant on this temple ever in history. And anyway, they do everything in, in, uh, in order as the Lord ordained. And um, it says, uh, verse 10 of First Kings chapter 8, it says, actually verse 6, It says the priest carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and they placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And verse 10 says, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. In verse 11, the priest could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. There we are again. That the glory of God it was all about this whole thing. Now, what happens? Very next chapter, the very next chapter, he actually talks to Solomon and he says, "I want you to, I want to tell you something. I'll be with you and I'll be with your next generations." But he says, "If you ever if you ever leave if you ever run away on your own and you do your own thing, the very next chapter says, "I'm just warning you now that this temple that you've built People walk by and say, who would do such a thing to this place? He says, it will be so destroyed that people will walk by in horror if if you leave, if you walk away from me. And that's exactly what happens, doesn't it? So here we are. We're going through the word here. What happens? Now we're talking hundreds and hundreds of years ago, right? We got Babylon in between, right? Again, now they've wandered away from the whole core purpose again who is seeing the same trend throughout history, right? We, see, we know this in our word. And finally now, the, the Lord himself, just as he was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40, now Jesus is in the streets, and there he is. He's walking through the streets, and I, the Lord began to have me speak about it last week during worship. But the Lord's walking through the streets, and some received him, and some missed him. But those that had prepared, those who had a heart, those who were willing, those who wanted him, received from him. Amen. And then it says in Acts chapter 1, it tells us, he says, Now, I'm going to do what I've been doing all along, except now in Acts, I'm going to do it in another way. What hasn't worked is that you thought that the relationship I wanted with you was in a building, but you know, if you, we just don't have time because this is like a six hour study, not a sermon. You just dial back and you know what he says to David? He goes, I don't want to live in a building. I've never even wanted to live in a building. He only even allowed the building so that your mind, right, could get, okay, God in heaven is in the earth. Like how could the human being understand that God's God that I can't see is also in the earth, and I'm going to come and interact with him. I'm going to bring him sacrifices, and he's going to bless me. He's going to cover my sins, etc. All these things happening there at the temple. And Jesus says, you know what? We're going to do this different this time. Amen. Amen. He says, we're going to just, I'm going to tear the veil. We're going to get rid of the building. You may come back in the buildings again, but the temple itself is now going to be in your hearts amongst each other. And what I'm going to do here, you can read it on your own time. Acts chapter 1. What do they do? They come together in unity, and, and, uh, and it says, it says uh, chapter 1, read it, read it there on your own, but it tells them just quickly, it says, you know, why are you staring into heaven looking for Jesus? Why are you looking up there? First of all, he says he's going to come again the same way, but that's not fully what he's saying. He's like, don't look into heaven looking for him. He's going to come the same way, but that's not the whole story. That same Jesus you see leaving like that, yeah, he's going to come physically, but he wants to come in spirit and be one with you as he's always wanted. So what do we read? You can, again, read it in your own time. Acts chapter 2, what happens? They go into the upper room of Pentecost, and what happens? the completion of what God had been seeking all throughout history, from Genesis all the way here now into Acts, right? It's the completion of the gospel, and it's the beginning of our lives with Christ, which is what? That finally he could get back to that place that he wanted in the garden. The the temples were temporary. There were places that they met with God, you know, uh, Abraham, Jacob, they're meeting, they're having meetings with God, you know, in, in these places like Bethel. And they put up a rock, just a place, just to say God's here, right? The, Jacob, it says, he put a rock there. He put a stone and says, "God, this is God's house. This is where God dwells. So there was this recognition of God entering the earth in some sort of a, a relationship connection. And God had been working for thousands of years to get us to this place. Where finally we would get it that I don't want you to come to church. I don't want you to get religious. I don't want you to enter religion. I want you to come back to the Garden of Eden. I don't want you to come into a temple. We shouldn't desire a temple. We talk about the third temple and we talk about prophecy being fulfilled. And those things are prophetic things. Those are not, you should not desire to want to go to a temple because that's not God's desire. The Bible says, that God is the temple. When it's the new heaven and the new earth, you know who's the temple? It's the Lord Himself. What He wants is that we and Him are one. That we would get back into the place where I have relationship with Him. And this is why He said, You know, you you I'm I'm telling you things and I'm speaking things to you throughout time from a teacher to another teacher to another teacher. I'm going to put something in your heart. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside you so that when they speak, it's not just words anymore, but the Holy Spirit in you, it will spark. Something inside you will say, that's the word. That's the word. That's the word. That's not the word. That's the word. That's the word. We could get deeper into that. But it's not just a one-time event. Right? Acts chapter 4, what happens? Peter says, Lord... I have the Holy Spirit. I'm walking in this Holy Spirit. I'm following you. In fact, they're doing miracles. They're doing amazing things. And then they're arrested, and they're told, you're not allowed to speak. And he says, I have to speak. I can't not speak for Christ. And what happens? Acts chapter 4, they come back. They're released, comes back to the people. They get together. They begin to pray. The Bible says that they begin to pray And they said, Lord, we need boldness. And the Bible tells me in Acts chapter 4 that the Holy Spirit came upon them again and gave them the boldness that they needed. Amen. Praise God. You may have to listen to this on the podcast to get a lot of what was there. That was the abridged version, but I had no choice. God wants to do something supernatural in us. God doesn't want a religious thing from you. He wants you and Him to be one. God's doing a work inside you. God has, it is supernatural what he's doing here. And uh, I know we went over time, but I'll just say some things, just some, just quick to close. God's calling us. And God wants your heart. He doesn't want really your devotion. He wants your heart, which comes with devotion. He doesn't want your obedience without the heart that wants to obey. Amen. It's not just going through works, right? It doesn't work, right? Works don't work. <laughs> the Lord is searching, I said last week. Second Chronicles 16, the Lord is looking for you. He's searching for hearts. And I just want to say, who will make room for him? Who's going to make room for him? Who's going to be ready for the Lord? Not just ready for his second coming, right? A lot of teaching, Be ready. be ready all the time because the Lord's coming again. We need to start acting like the Lord is here. That he's watching everything we do and he's interacting with everything we do. And not just, you know, you need to be a good little boy because if you're not, God might catch you doing something wrong. And it's just such a wrong thinking. We need to start to realize that God is right here with us. He's working in our hearts that we are one. We need to be one. Amen. So we just thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you, Lord God. As your word is supernatural, your word, Lord God, is a sword. And I thank you, Lord, your word is a hammer. And Lord, it must do a work in us. It must break up the fallow ground and cut through to divide the soul from the spirit. Only you can do it. We can't do it. Lord, even me speaking, Lord, even speaking your words can't do it. It is the Spirit of God, thank you, Lord, empowering those words in our hearts. I just pray, Lord, God, we'd have good seed, Lord, planted in good ground. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Bless you.